Hey, what's going on, young adults? How you guys doing? You good? Everybody doing good? Hey, do me a favor. Look at your neighbor. Give him a hug, a high five, a handshake. We're in the relationship series, so maybe sneak in a kiss. You know, shoot or shoot. Take a shot. If it's appropriate. If not, we got security waiting for you. Hey, question. Uh, how many people... In here tonight, it's your very first time coming and checking out Young Adults on a Thursday night. Can we give it up for all of our new people here? Hey, I just want to say um, here at Young Adults, our goal is to make you feel welcome and loved and at home. You don't, you don't necessarily have to believe what we believe to belong here, but I'll just be straight up with you. We will unapologetically preach Jesus because we believe that he is God and we believe that he's the only way to a relationship with him. And so my prayer for you tonight is if you came in here hurting or wondering with questions, just know you belong. You don't have to have all your questions answered to fit in. But I do want you to know that our prayer for you is that you would experience Jesus in a way that you never have before. Maybe you've come in here tonight and you don't believe in God or you're not sure if God's real. Our prayer for you is that you would experience the one and only life-giving God in a way that you've never experienced before. Because if I'm just being honest, there's not a single word that I'm able to say tonight that could do anything to change you. I can tell a couple corny jokes and I'm gonna share a story about me not being smooth one time and that it'll be funny but it won't change your soul but Jesus can change your soul and so tonight we're in our relationship series and I had the honor and the privilege of talking to you guys about this concept of marriage and um, honestly as I was preparing for this message I felt extremely inadequate to talk about marriage I've been married for two years to the love of my life her name is Erin She's out there with her life group somewhere, sitting out there, I can't see hardly anything, but um, two years of marriage. And uh, honestly, they've been the best two years of my entire life. She is, she's like my favorite human being in the world. She's hilarious, she's strong, she's smart. Um, she's, she challenges me to be better. She encourages my dreams, no matter how outlandish they might seem. And um, even though marriage has been one of the most amazing things that I've ever gotten to personally experience, I felt so inadequate to talk about it, but at the same time, I felt so strong, uh, such a strong pull from the Holy Spirit to say, hey, no, you need to talk about marriage. Because you see, marriage, it's not like a social construct. It's not some type of institution that society has put into place for two people to kind of help each other out. Marriage was God's idea. Marriage, actually, the Bible opens with a marriage, the marriage of Adam and Eve, and God actually officiates their wedding, so to say. And marriage was God's idea before anything, before sin entered into the world, anything. And so marriage is powerful. And I was, as I was praying for this and preparing for this, I was like, God, what, what do I say? Like, what rules, what regulations, what standards or boundaries do I give people to help them one day have a better marriage? If you're single, to, to find a good spouse. If you're dating, to, to date well. Like, well, what do I say to people? What is the point of marriage? And I felt so strongly the Holy Spirit tell me, what is the point of anything? 
Like, what is the point of anything? The point of marriage is Jesus. The point of marriage is to look like Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to show people that Jesus is real and that he is who he says he is. The point of marriage is Jesus. And the power that we find in marriage, it's not in a set of rules or regulations or maybe pieces of advice that we could give, and and that's all well and good. The power in marriage, it's not in the rules or regulations or guidelines. And honestly, I believe in this day and age, people don't need more rules or regulations or guidelines, but the power of marriage is found in its ability to reflect the gospel, the good news of Jesus to a hurting and broken world. And so tonight, I am going to simply do my best to preach Jesus within the context of marriage. And I need you to believe with me that the Holy Spirit is going to show up and he's going to do something that I can't do, which is give a word of revelation. See, we don't need any more rules or regulations. What we need if we're talking about marriage is a revelation from heaven, a revelation about who God is and what he intended marriage to be. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump in. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 12 and Ephesians 5? We're going to read some passages tonight, and then we're going to pray. And we're going to jump into this thing. Romans 12, we're going to read from Romans 12 to Ephesians 5. I'm kidding. That would take way too long. But Ephesians 12, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. It says this. It says, I appeal to you. Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I love that God's motivation for everything is mercy, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, don't be conformed to this world, but actually be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is his good and acceptable and perfect will. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 28. It says this, the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife actually loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but we nourish it and cherish it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. I'm just going to pause there and let that sink in for a minute. I'm kidding, guys. Men, sometimes it's good to get out of the house. All right, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Y'all thought I was getting like real spiritual right there. That was funny. Um, And he's going to hold fast to his wife. And the two are actually going to become one flesh. And I love how Paul says this. This mystery... This mystery of marriage, this mystery of a man and a woman coming together and being one flesh and being faithful to one another, this mystery is profound. And I'm actually, as I'm describing this, I'm referencing Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Tonight, the title of my message is this, the power and the mystery of marriage, the power and the mystery of marriage. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And God, we are so aware that on our own, we can do nothing 
But, but with you, God, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that you have called us to, a life of integrity, a life of character, a life where we can conduct relationships, friendships, dating, marriage in a way that honors you, but not just honors you, but actually points to you, that preaches the gospel to a hurting and broken world. And so tonight, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would do what only you can do, which is give us a word of revelation from heaven about who Jesus is and what he has designed marriage for. And so God, I pray that as if we lift you up, that you would meet with us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I remember growing up, I lived in a small town right outside of Washington, D.C. And um, in eighth and ninth grade, that's kind of when you started being attracted to the opposite sex, right? In eighth and ninth grade, that's where you'd start writing like love letters and sliding them in people's lockers. Like, do you want to go out with me? Yes or no? And did any of you guys ever have that girl that circled or and you're like, we're done. I'm, I'm done with you already. You, you are the girl that has so much drama in your life already, I can tell. Um, but eighth and ninth grade is kind of when you started to, to have that desire to go out on dates and at least where I was from, in eighth and ninth grade, the pinnacle of the dating experience was the movie theater. Now, I think this is kind of ironic because, you know, you'd be in middle school or a freshman in high school and you'd be like, hey, do you want to go out on a date with me? And she'd be like, yeah, sure. And already it's awkward because you're like, all right, cool. Is my mom going to come pick you up or are your parents going to drop you off? You know, like... There's like no cool way to date in like eighth and ninth grade. It's like, so do you want us to pick you up? Are your parents going to drop you off? But, uh, but, but dating, the pinnacle of dating was the movie theater. And the movie theater dates had a system. They had a pattern and a methodology to them. And this is kind of what I mean. At least for me and my group of friends, if you were going to take a girl out to the movies, you knew things, this is what was going to happen. Either you, you and your parents were going to pick her up or her parents were going to drop uh, her off at the movie theater. And number two, just to reinforce how cool you were, you would borrow money from your parents so that you could potentially buy snow caps um, as you walk in to enjoy whatever movie you decided you were going to watch. And the next thing, the next protocol is you had to pick the right seating. Now, a lot of you, I'm sure, didn't play it cool like me and my friends did, but we had a system. See, a lot of times when you go to the movie theater on a date, you try to get as far away in like the darkest corner as possible. But that is how you catch the eye of the movie theater attendant. You want to sit in a place that's dark and quiet that you can have a conversation, but at the same time not seem like you're doing something too shady. But... The number one thing, like the goal of every single movie theater date was the handhold. If you were in eighth or ninth grade and you held somebody's hand, you were official. And like, ladies, you know, because you had the biggest role to play in this. Like you had the ability to either like affirm the date or totally shut it down because here's what happened. There's this unspoken barrier of an armrest, right? And like that is your personal bubble in a movie theater. And nobody breaches the armrest without invitation. And so when you're in eighth or ninth grade, fellas, we'd be watching like the screen. And I don't know why, but we're sweating because we're, what, in middle school and our hormones are just like raging and we sweat for no reason. And so... We're sitting there and we would wait for the cue. This was, is this was the most important part of the system of the movie theater date. You could tell if the girl was feeling it or not. 
because she would awkwardly rest her arm on the armrest and just be like, man, look at my hand. It's solo and it's, it's here. And so I remember, I think I was in like ninth grade. I had met a girl from a different school, which might as well have been a foreign exchange student from another country. And I asked her to go to the movies, and she said yes. And so I remember game planning with my friends, and they are like, all right, man, you know how this works. Like, parents drop you off, check. Get the 20 from your mom, because you're a man, check. Um, Get the candy, get the right seating, and then look for the signal. Look for the handhold. And, dude, don't blow it for us, because this is a girl from a different school. Like, the, the opportunities, like you're opening a whole new world of dating opportunity here. And so I remember parents dropped me off, got the snow caps, got the seat, and we start to watch the movie. And the previews start to roll, and I'm sweating just because that's what happens. And, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just like thinking, I'm just like thinking about all this. And I'm like, man, what's going to happen? She's really cool. Like we're talking, not really paying attention. But isn't it true also like on a movie theater date, like especially in middle school or high school, you're like staring at the movie. Like there's also this weird thing of like you want to act like you're not that interested. So like you like watch the theater screen, but you're like peeking out of the corner of your eye. Like she just flinched. Like what does that mean? Like, you know, like reading every move. But the movie starts... And just like the system would have it, this girl awkwardly props her arm up and is like dangling it there. And so the whole time during the previews, I was watching her because I remember she had her purse on her lap and she had her hands kind of like wrapped around her purse. And I was like, what, is she going to give me the signal or not? And so she gives me the signal and I'm telling you, God's honest truth, I freeze. I like absolutely freeze. And I'm like watching it out of the corner of my eye and like I'm sweating more and more. I'm like, what am I doing? Like there's the signal. Like this is how it always works. Grab the girl's hand and like five minutes go by and 10 minutes go by and I I don't know but finally this girl gets this idea I am not interested in holding her hand and she pulls her hand back and wraps it around her purse and I'm sitting there thinking idiot like Connor be a man you're 14 years old like be a man and so I'm like just talking to myself, like my 14-year-old self, like, you can do this. Like, and I'd build up the courage, and I'd you know, just get so close to breaching the barrier, the armrest, and I'd be like, oh, man, that was, just, you know, that was a scary part right there, huh? You know? Whew. But I'm talking to myself, and I'm building this up. And I kid you not, I get to this point where I'm like, listen, I'm not blowing this for my friends. I'm not blowing this for me. I will hold this hand. And I will, I will find new territory of dating for my, ni- my ninth grade friends, all right? Like, I'm doing this for the crew. Like. And so I reach over, and I go to grab this girl's hand. And I realize I, I feel something, and I feel like her cell phone. And I'm like, okay, um, hey, girl, I've, I've, like, I've kind of broke the code a little bit. I put my hand over, and I'm feeling your cell phone, like, meet me halfway, all right? Like, you you know what I'm trying to do here. And so I start like feeling around more and I'm like, is that chapstick? Like, I think I feel chapstick. And then I like continue to like search for her hand and I feel these keys start to jingle and I look over and I realize that I've actually put my hand inside this girl's purse. And so not only did I like deny her first attempt at holding hands, now she thinks she's being like held up in the middle of 
Lord of the Rings or whatever. And needless to say, that date began and ended in the movie theater. And my friends and I lost all connections to this other school. And this might feel a little bit of a stretch, but just follow me here for a second. When you're in eighth and ninth grade, Movie theater dating has a system, right? It has like a code. It has a way things should go. And I followed that to my best ability. And in the end, it utterly failed me. And this world actually has a code. It has systems. It has messages that it is trying to send out methodologies and patterns to try to form what you think about marriage and how you think about marriage. And the reality is, if we can follow and trace what the world says marriage looks like and what marriage should be about, if we're being honest, it's failing. And this takes me back to the verse we read in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says this, Do not conform to this world, but actually be transformed by the renewing of your mind by the gospel of Jesus, who Jesus is. Be transformed. That word transform actually means metamorphosis. It's, it's what like a caterpillar does to become a butterfly. So it's not just saying, hey, don't like kind of act like what the world says about marriage or dating or relationships, but just be a little better. It's like, no, actually have a completely new revelation of what relationships and marriage and dating can look like. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. And what Romans is telling us here is that whether you believe it or not, in some way, shape, or form, something is forming the way that you see and think about relationships and marriage, be it information or commercials on TV or ads that we see on social media or whatever it is, something is forming you on how you view relationships and how you view marriage. And so my first point isn't really a point, it's a question. It's this, are you being conformed or are you being transformed? Are you being conformed to the pattern of this world, what the world says marriage is all about, or are you being transformed? When it comes to the mystery that Paul says is marriage, what are you allowing to shape your thoughts on it? Because here's the reality. There is a narrative that our culture puts out that they would love for you to buy into. And there's two major narratives kind of going on right now. I'm going to talk about one now and then two in a second. But the two major areas are this. One, marriage is about you. And the second is this. If marriage is even still relevant for our culture and people our age. But the first point, marriage is all about you, is this message that our culture and society are trying to get out to as many people as possible. And literally, it has become so prevalent in the thoughts of people that they interview that now with our, with our generation, they've deemed this new term the me marriage. It is called the me marriage. And the me marriage is defined like this. It is a contract, not a covenant, but a contract with another person where you will stay committed to them. And here's the major phrase, as long as they check off all of your boxes and they're bringing some type of personal benefit to your life that you might not be able to achieve on your own. 
And here's just like kind of like a, a funny example, but it's a true example. And I don't think this is wrong necessarily, but how many of us have a single friend or if we were single at one point, we did this. I remember I did this at one point, but we have this list of this ideal person that we would love to be married to one day. And if we're being honest, this list mostly revolves around us, like what we want out of the other person. Like number one on almost everybody's list is this, is number one, they must have a six pack. And all I got to say about that is don't ask for what you're not willing to work for, okay? (laughs) I could stop right there and preach a whole message on don't pray for what you're not willing to work for. But so many of us like, all right, if we, if I am in a spouse, they have to have a six pack. I don't even have a six pack, but I want them to have a six pack because I like that. That's appealing to me. The second thing, uh, I want them to be pescatarian, but also know how to throw down some McDonald's sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I want them to be healthy. I want them to take fitness and health seriously, but I also want them to know how to throw down after YA driving by Taco Bell on the way home. That's what I'm looking for. Girl, are you it? You know what I'm saying? I want my spouse to make at least 80K but not be glued to their job because I have a heart to travel and I want them to be able to travel with me. I want them to make a ton of money, don't get me wrong, but I just want them to not be so tied down that they, that they can't travel with me because I want to travel, you know what I'm saying? And also they have to want four kids and three puppies. And I don't know what we do with the puppies once they grow up, but four kids and three puppies. And here's the thing. We come up with these lists, and inherently they're not bad. Listen, it is good to know what you are looking for in a person. But sometimes these lists can just kind of drive home the point that I need a person that is actually all about me. I need a person that is all about me. And culture will tell you that marriage is appropriate, if it even is still appropriate. Marriage is appropriate only if you are the major benefactor of this transactional relationship. As long as your needs are being met, marriage is cool. As long as your dreams are being spoken into and invested in and fulfilled, marriage is awesome. As long as your passions are being pursued and you're feeling fulfilled mentally, sexually, spiritually, whatever, like the marriage is great. But the moment that you no longer feel fulfilled with this person, the minute this other person, this spouse puts any type of request on you, The minute that life takes a turn that you didn't expect, and instead of having 80, 90, $250,000 in the bank, you're broke. The minute that it doesn't pan out the way you want it to pan out, you have every single right to pull the cord and cut them loose and move on. The me marriage, where it's all about me. How many people in here tonight are thankful we serve a God that he's not all about him? The Bible says he actually left heaven, came to earth to to die for you. The Bible says that he looked past the pain of the cross. It said he, he despised its shame because there was joy set before him. He didn't do that because of himself. He did that for you. Jesus did not have to go on the cross for any other reason but because he loved you. And the example that he is setting here is that marriage, if everything is about Jesus, then marriage can't be about me because Jesus is about you. He's about you and he's about me. Culture says it's all about you. 
It's all about your fulfillment. It's all about your satisfaction. The Bible says marriage is all about Jesus. It's all about being Jesus for somebody else. It's all about modeling Jesus to a lost and broken world with somebody else. If you want to start to understand the power and the mystery behind marriage, honestly, there are good principles to follow, I'm sure. But the best thing that you can bank your life on every single time is to follow after Jesus. If you want to be the best husband in the room, follow Jesus. If you want to be the best wife you can possibly be, follow Jesus. Marriage is not about me. It's about you, and Jesus modeled that. If you want to practice what it looks like to model a marriage, it's about somebody else. You don't have to be married to practice this. Practice this. Practice faithfulness because Jesus is faithful even when we're not faithful. The Bible says that he is faithful even when we're not. Why? Because he can't deny who he is. That's awesome. That's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. You want to practice a marriage that's going to last? You want to start to understand the mystery and the power of marriage? Practice faithfulness. Practice humility. The Bible says that he humbled himself to come in the form of a man, to die on a cross, to forgive our sins. You want to, you want to have a powerful marriage and understand marriage? Practice humility. Practice self-sacrifice. The Bible says that the king of the universe became a servant to all. Practice servanthood to your friends, to, to, to your dating relationships, your engagement. If you're married in here, practice serving your spouse. What is shaping your view of marriage? What is shaping your thought? Are you being conformed to what the world says the point of marriage is? Are you allowing the power of the Holy Spirit through the good news of Jesus transform your mind on what marriage is all about? The second thing I want to talk about briefly tonight is this. When it comes to the terms of marriage and relationship and dating, please hear me when I say this. Everything is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. And here's what I mean. Uh, I got the privilege to travel uh, with the church for a little while and go to a couple different countries in Europe. And the planes that we were on had movies that were either in languages I didn't understand or they just weren't that good. And so when we would go to the airport and get Wi-Fi, we would start to download, you know, like shows and documentaries on our phones. And so I downloaded this documentary on Netflix called, uh, based on monogamy. I don't, I don't know if Netflix made it or whatever, but I think the title was literally just monogamy. And it was like, like 30, 40 minutes, and I downloaded it. I was interested in it, and I was like, this is going to be encouraging. I want to learn about it, like, you know, what these people say about it. And for the, the whole 30, 40-minute period that this documentary played, these brilliant minds from different universities and different medical fields and doctors literally spent 30 to 40 minutes just tearing down the institution of marriage and the relevancy of marriage. And these brilliant minds spent 40 minutes observing chimpanzees. No lie. And, and, their, and their thought was, these chimpanzees are not married. These chimpanzees do not live in a monogamous state. They do not have one partner forever. They are free to physically express themselves and sexually express themselves with whoever they want, whenever they want. Therefore, we should too. Humanity has evolved past this need for marriage, and we know that because of the chimpanzees. 
Ignoring the fact that chimpanzees will literally poop and throw it at each other. (laughs) Or that no chimpanzee in the world has ever built a car. Or ever built a city. Or ever played basketball. Like, why would we look to these people, these, these monkeys, why would we look to these to get marriage advice? But these doctors and these brilliant minds, degrees more than I will ever have in my entire life, say we can tell by these chimpanzees that humanity has evolved past the need for marriage. And the prevailing message of this documentary was this. Marriage is simply an outdated system designed to sexually oppress humanity. Marriage is this outdated system to sexually oppress humanity. And I'm sure you've heard these mantras, or maybe you haven't like literally heard them, but you've kind of seen their message weave throughout society is this. Marriage is dead, honestly. More and more people are waiting to get married. More and more people are seeing that there's no need to actually get married. Cohabitation is higher than it's ever been in the history of our world before marriage. So people are just coming to this realization that they don't need to be married to like find this type of fulfillment. That was like major message number one. Uh, major message number two, your body is simply that. It's a body. It is a carrier of DNA that looks to transfer its DNA whenever possible if it finds the right opportunity. Your body is just a body. There's no spiritual weight. There's no metaphysical reality. You are just atoms and cells composed together, DNA that is just looking to procreate. So why not do it? But the final message, and they actually kind of said this a few times based off the the observation of these chimpanzees, is this. No one can really actually be faithful to somebody forever. There's no way. Look at chimpanzee number A. Like, (laughs) dude's getting around. Like, you need to chill. You know what I'm saying? But nobody, can somebody really be faithful to one person forever? They just couldn't understand that, and they came to the conclusion, no, they can't. I want to look back at what Romans 12, 1 says. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God. If you have your Bible, highlight that mercy of God, not guilt, not shame, not condemnation, by God's mercy. It says, present your body, your body, your physical body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now get this. This is actually spiritual worship. This is spiritual worship. Romans tells us to offer our bodies, like our skin, our arms, our head, like offer our bodies to God. Because this isn't just physical. This is spiritual. This is a spiritual form of worship. And I love that the Bible says this, it is powered by God's mercy. There's a lot of people in here, myself included, when it comes to this, where there have been physical things that have maybe happened in your past, sexual things, and, and there is, a, there is a, a, an opportunity to maybe try to serve God out of guilt, out of shame, out of condemnation that, God, I know I've messed up so many times, so if, if you will just love me, I promise that I'll offer my body to you as a sacrifice. That's not what God's looking for. God said, it's my mercy, it's actually my grace, it's my unconditional love for you that will empower you to offer yourself as a sacrifice because that's spiritual. 
that's spiritual. And the prevailing message of this documentary and a narrative that our culture continues to push out is this. They try to divorce the reality, separate the reality of the physical and the spiritual, to drive home this idea that your body is just a body. And when you're gone, you're gone. And, and, and you're just physical matter. But there's no spiritual repercussion to anything that you do with your body. But how many people in here have lived enough life to know that's just not true? How many people have lived enough life to know that your body isn't just your body? There are weights that come attached to decisions that you make with your body. And the message our culture is trying to get out is that you don't need marriage to to express yourself physically. But what the Bible is saying is that marriage was the perfect conduit of this physical expression because you're more than just physical. Nothing within a relationship is just physical. Everything is spiritual. But God says, it's by my mercy that you get to do this. I believe that there are people in here tonight that come in here with sexual baggage. Maybe you, you've had some type of sexual trauma in your past. Maybe you've just had a life where you've fooled around with boyfriends or girlfriends and it's weighed on you, but it, for some reason that's kind of been your only form of identity. I believe that tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit's gonna move on your behalf and you're gonna draw a line in the sand and say, listen, it's not my guilt that I'm gonna give to God through my body. It's not my shame that I'm going to give. I'm actually going to step into his grace. I'm actually going to step in to his mercy and I'm going to allow his mercy to empower me from this moment forward to walk in purity and to honor God with my body because it's a spiritual form of worship to God. Everything is spiritual. There is no divorce or separation between the physical and the spiritual. Now think about this. Jesus came to earth. And he didn't just give us teachings and theories and then leave. Like Jesus wasn't just love your neighbor as yourself, peace, ascend to heaven. (laughs) The Bible says that he came to earth and was physically born of a virgin. He physically grew up and led a perfect, sinless life. He physically died on a cross. He was pinned to a cross. Jesus physically died, and Jesus physically was resurrected three days later, and his physical resurrection has the greatest spiritual implication that the universe will ever know. It was the physical death of the perfect Savior and then the physical resurrection of the perfect Savior that allows whosoever wants to come may come and know God and have a relationship with God now and forever. And the danger within this message of this divorce between the physicality and the spirituality is this. If we can belittle marriage and if we can convince people that marriage is unnecessary or it's outdated or it's some form of physical or sexual oppression, if we can just get that narrative out there, then maybe we can belittle this idea that you can remain faithful to somebody, that you can physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally be faithful to some person. And the danger within that is this, it distorts the greatest picture of our relationship with God that the Bible gives us. If we can get this narrative out there, that marriage is outdated, that it doesn't matter, that, that physicality is just physicality. There's no spiritual ramification. If we can belittle this idea of marriage, then we can start to chip away at one of the greatest pictures the Bible gives us on how God views his relationship with us. 
how you handle your relationships right now, your friendships, your, your dating, your engagement, your marriage, has so many spiritual ramifications. But believe me, you're going you're gonna to run on empty real soon if you're doing it out of guilt or shame or condemnation. Allow God's mercy to be your fuel. The final thing I want to talk to you guys about tonight, and band, you guys can make your way on up, is this. The mystery and the power of marriage is its unique ability to reflect the gospel to a lost and hurting world. The mystery and the power of marriage is its unique ability to reflect the gospel to a lost and to a hurting world. In Ephesians 5, it's one of the clearest guidelines that we get. It's hot up here. My goodness. Um, Ephesians 5 is one of the clearest sort of models that we get for marriage, especially within the, the Christian household. It's where Paul kind of lays out this idea of like uh, husbands, how to treat your wives, wives, how to treat your husbands. This is where Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, honor your husbands. And I just want to take a moment to clarify, it does not say women submit to men. It says, wives, submit to your husband. If you are in a dating relationship and you are even engaged and you are not under covenant with a man, you have zero obligation to do any type of submitting to this man. What this says is, wives, submit to your husbands. Honor them. Show them dignity. And, and I know sometimes that word submit can feel cringy, but don't worry. Like God hammers the guy like right after. He says, hey, husbands, Love your wife. Actually, lay down your life for her. Because that's what Jesus did for the church. Husbands, love your wives. And be willing to lay your life down. Like that word submit feels bad, but he literally tells husbands like, hey, guess what? Your role is to prefer her over yourself. Your role is to make decisions based on what's best for her. Your role is to push her up, to lift her up. And whenever things go, go bad, your first instinct, you lay down your life so she flourishes. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He talks about, he talks about sort of like what, what a Christian household should look like. And then he says this one thing. And as I was studying for this, it caught me off guard and sort of took me by surprise. But, but I loved it. Paul says this in Ephesians 5. He says, Therefore, a man will leave his father and his mother and he'll hold fast to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I want to say something real quick about that statement. There are a lot of you in here tonight that might have had sex outside of the context of marriage. And sometimes there's this weird Christian talk that you are, your souls are now intermingled and intertwined and you, there's no way to break that. The, the major context of two becoming one flesh isn't just sex. Uh, that, that, that's a little bit of a part of it, but it's actually going under covenant with somebody. Because covenant is stronger than sex. Covenant is, is something that, that you will not ever leave. It will not ever break. It can never be broken. Covenant is what binds two souls together before God. It says, a man will leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Two will become one. And then I love this. Paul says this. This mystery is profound. I wonder if he said that because Paul was single. You know what I mean? Like, I don't get it. I can't get a girl. Like, it's a profound mystery. Um, no, but he says this mystery is profound. And then he says this, after laying out like the, the, the way husbands and wives should interact with each other, he says this, I'm actually saying this about Christ and the church, this mystery of marriage. It's, 
it's not just about a man and a woman coming together. It's about Christ and the church. And I think it's funny because Paul calls marriage a mystery. And I think that's like kind of a great word that our culture would define marriage as, right? Like our culture would say marriage, like staying with one person forever. Why would you do that? That's a mystery. The people in the documentary marriage, like having sex with one person for the rest of your life. Why would you do that? That's a mystery. Being faithful day in and day out to a person who might have morning breath, that might, that might not always put on makeup or, or you might wear gym shorts out in public, like whatever, like faithful to that person forever? Like that is a mystery. But Paul says, hey, I'm not just talking about how you need to be with a spouse one day. I'm talking about how Jesus is to you right now. See, the power within the mystery of marriage is that it is the most powerful reflection of the gospel to a lost and broken, hurting world. God entering into covenant with man saying, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will never leave you. The Bible says that when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he is faithful. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. And that is the strength within marriage. And that is the picture that marriage is trying to paint to to the world is that if I can be with this person forever, oh, you better believe there is a God that can walk with you through thick and thin. You better believe that there is a God that can walk beside of you in your darkest moments. There is a God that can be with you in your highest triumphs when everybody on earth abandons you. You better believe there is a God that has a covenant with you. He is not going anywhere. He is right by your side whenever you need him. He loved you so much. He died for you and he will never leave you and never forsake you. Will you stand to your feet? I felt so strongly on my heart tonight to talk about marriage in light of the gospel, because remember, it's all about Jesus. Marriage is about Jesus. And my prayer was that not only would we get a revelation from heaven about what marriage is, my prayer was that people in here tonight would get a revelation from heaven about who Jesus is. And it might sound weird because, you know, like, who does an altar call or who does a salvation call in a, in a in a relationship series, I, I will. Because I'm never gonna not give somebody an opportunity to, to meet Jesus. And so I wanna say something real quick. A lot of you in here come from households where there might be brokenness. You might've been in a household where your parents didn't stick it out and you haven't seen what it looks like to be together forever, or maybe you were born into a single family home, can I tell you right now, the, uh, the invitation of this marriage of Christ and his church still stands for you. You don't need a perfect picture within your family because guess what? We're all broken. We're all flawed. We're all hurting. But Jesus, he's perfect and he will never leave or abandon you. And I want you to know clear as day that Jesus loves you right now as you are with all of your baggage. He doesn't want you to get yourself right. He wants to get you right. And you literally do that by asking Jesus to come into your heart. And so I want everybody in this room to close your eyes. If you're in here tonight and you felt the Holy Spirit 
just putting an impression on your heart. I know it might sound weird, but if, if you've just felt like the God of the universe was trying to connect with you tonight, and maybe you don't know him, maybe you don't know who he is, but tonight you want to make a decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to accept his invitation to be in a relationship with him forever. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Would you raise your hand? Hands going up all over the place. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. God, everything is for you. The Bible says the earth and everything in it is yours. The Bible says you created everything. All things were made by you and all things were made for you. And so tonight, as a group of young adults, I pray that we could get a revelation from heaven that our marriages were given to us that are designed to point towards who Jesus is, to show people the good news of the gospel of grace, that even within a marriage, it can point to salvation. It can point to a cross. It can point to forgiveness. It can point to grace and that shame has no power here. Bondage, baggage, no power here. Guilt, no power here because where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. Jesus, we love you so much. We invite you in this place as we worship you tonight. It's in your name we pray. Amen.